I think that children um, are, if we're speaking with them, if we're engaged with them in a relationship with them, um, they are gaining the elements that they need to, to learn language and to and to to learn reading. I think the reading um, decoding skills, decoding skills need to be explicitly taught. Um, but what they need before that is uh, understanding what words mean, wow. comprehension. And okay. if things don't, if words don't mean anything to them, then what's the point of reading? There's no motivation to read. Welcome back to Parenting on Purpose, your podcast for parenting tips and enjoying the journey. So to continue our theme of our neighbors to the north, I have Miss Amazing Susan Ramsey here with us this evening. Susan, thank you for spending your evening with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, full disclosure, everyone, this is our like fifth attempt. We've been having some fun, uh, some, some fun technological issues today, but that's okay. Um, so Susan, I feel like we've been very well introduced. Um, I know you come to us as a mom and as a new grandma, so that's fantastic, with a love and a focus and specificity on early children's education. So um, I'm just, I one, I'm very appreciative of the work that you do. Uh, I think that's incredible. And two, I'm so excited for our parents to glean any information from you on just how to add uh, additional support and love to their children at that phase of their life to help support our teachers. So why don't you introduce, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into this work, and then we'll just go from there. Okay, so um, I have long worked uh, with young children um, and with their families uh, in a variety of capacities, in, in childcare, in, as a family support worker, as, um, as an educator um, in a variety of settings, including kindergarten classrooms. Um, and I guess the sort of my uh, longest uh, chunk of work has been as an early literacy specialist, uh, working with families who have infants, toddlers, and preschoolers, um, supporting their um, just things that they can do to support their child's language development and their their early literacy skills. Um, Great. And and I currently also have uh, uh, an online presence where there's some courses and some um, resources and articles that I write to for for parents and for edu early learning educators as well. That's awesome. I, I love the literacy portion of it. I'm really excited to learn more about that. I, I have a three-year-old and I'm just intrigued to know like what we're doing, what else we could be doing. Um, Cause he's definitely shows an interest in reading and he's picked up letters so easily. And I'm just, I'm just excited. That, that's fantastic. Um, so where do you want to start? Uh, do you want to start with maybe what you've learned um, over the years as you've taught others? Like what, what's on your heart when it comes to um, teaching early literacy and early uh, instilling a love for children early? I think with something that has come to me, I used to try and think of um, and and learn other people's techniques and and do a lot of uh, research and and try and understand um, what young children, what infants, and what preschoolers um, benefit from. And there's all kinds of of wonderful information that that's part of that. But I started to over time recognize how children, how babies, <laughs> already have an absolute love for learning. There's nothing that's going to stop them from learning. They're going to do their best before they have speech, before they have a way of communicating in a way that we understand particularly. They're going to use every tool in their toolbox to help us as parents understand what, what they're trying to communicate, whether they're hungry, whether they're um, tired, whether they're um, just wanting to be held. Yeah. And we are amazing as parents, I think, at trying our darndest to figure out what does that cry mean? What does that little hesitation, what does that eye gaze mean? There's this beautiful 
um, deep listening to each other, uh, to trying to communicate. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then it just keeps going, like they're trying to grasp. Um, and it's hard to, to figure out how to make their hands move or to move across from one angle to another or to crawl or to roll over. And I'll try and try I'm watching my grandchildren now try to roll, roll. And finally, it's like they've got it. Um, and and there's no stopping them. They've got to roll all the time. And I think of when children are starting to, to learn to walk mm-hmm. and they fall down over Constantly. and over again. And no matter how many missteps they make, they're not daunted. They're going to keep going until they've got phased. No, they, they understand that failure is just attempt that didn't work. And they're going to keep going in so many ways. I'm so glad you brought that up. Like whether you're a parent, an entrepreneur, uh, insert, whatever the thing is, I feel like adults can learn so much from their children. Like we try something new and we get disheartened and then we want to quit. And it's like, if you take a, a note out of your child's book, like they just don't have quit in them. They're just going to do it and do it until they figure it out. It's the yeah. resiliency is amazing. It is. Those, yeah. those are dispositions to learning that children are born with. Awesome. Um, persistence, um, curiosity, um, willing to not be discouraged by their, by, by the, their failures. Those failures teach them something. Um, yeah. And those dispositions for learning, um, those dispositions for learning are, are something that I, I think as adults, we also want to hold on to. And we want to, to, um, emulate hundred <laughs> percent. I also think about as a parent, like it's, it's hard. Like, I think you're, you can be well-meaning, but if you're not careful, you can stunt that proclivity to want to continue to grow. Um, so I think that's a really important just reminder that you just provided to me and to parents is like kids by nature, if I'm understanding correctly, they're just going to want to keep trying. So as long as we don't do anything to interfere with that, and we just continue to praise them for the attempt, um, they're just going to keep going, which is great. I think there's, um, what you say reminds me too of, we're pretty good at, I think, at at saying, good job, way to go. Um, But sometimes we can also say, did you ever put a lot of effort into that? Wow. Um, You tried in so many different ways. I'm so impressed by that. Giving them very specific. I love that. About what it is, what are the qualities and the characteristics that, that really speak to you? um, That, uh, because we, we're telling them in talking about literacy and 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 that aspect of things in their language development, we're always telling them stories and wanting to share stories with them. But one of the biggest stories that we are telling them all the time is what we think of them by our actions and interactions. Wow. We're always holding up a mirror to them about what, how we see them. Um, wow. And if we're able to hold up that mirror of um, that gives them concrete understanding of what it is that is so impressive and that we are as curious about what they are curious about. Um, we're both in tune with each other. Uh, that really keeps that love of learning alive. I think that's beautiful. What does that look like? Does that look like you said saying something specific and what other ways does that transpire? So when I, I think of saying, uh, oh, there's kinds of things that come to that's mind. Okay. Briefly. Just so, so being more specific, I'll get even more specific. Um, in uh, how to be specific. <laughs> lots of times, as as children uh, start to do drawings, they um, we are often going, "Oh, that's beautiful! Oh, is that ever lovely? Love it!" And the child has no idea what it is that we love about this picture. They don't even know if we really love it. They right. just know it's, 
it has pleased us. And so they're much more likely to try and keep pleasing us by doing the same thing over and over again than they are to be creative and try something new. Wow. So if we're, if we're responding to them, just even with a thumbs up, "Hmm, nice, or, or just saying, look at how you use that whole piece of paper. Or to me, red reminds me of roses or something, you know, that gives them something that lets them know what it is about that picture uh, or how they represented something or how they express their emotion. Um, often with, with scribbling, for example, I, I like to call it mark making That's awesome. <laughs> because, because we think of scribbling as just a way to get um, from one, get to something better <laughs> instead of understanding that scribbling is something in itself. Mm, It's a reaction to emotion. It's a joyful way of moving their body. It's exploring all the geometric shapes of square, triangle, um, circle uh, in a way that is generated from them. Uh, There's a story uh, that uh, uh, a mentor and friend of mine told about her child uh, when her child was quite young. in, in a program, an early learning program. And the, the children were asked to draw something that they'd like to do at home. And so he worked hard on this and he drew things that kind of looked like um, they might be animals or people. Um, and then when he was just about done, he worked hard on it. He took a black uh, crayon and went all over the top of it so he couldn't see anything that was underneath it again. And the educators said, you know, don't do that. No, it's great. You don't, you don't need to cover it up. It's good. It's, um, but still they felt like they wanted to post all the pictures that the children had done. Parents were going to be coming in. They wanted to be able to, to the parents to see this picture, all the, all the pictures. And, um, they were a little bit embarrassed because they thought there's going to be some judgment here about yeah. so-and-so's picture is this really elaborate picture. And here's one that's just this black scribble. Um, but the parent, my friend had, had the presence of mind to say, tell me about it. And he said, well, we, we were, my favorite thing to do at home was play hide and seek. Oh. And I like to play it in the dark. Oh, so he had actually layered his story. Yeah. Which is actually incredibly advanced. Yeah. 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 I have feel that I feel that as a parent and like a, like a microchasm where like Gabriel will be doing something and, and, or even when my daughter was younger and it's like, maybe this is like me being a perfectionist, but if it's not the way I think, and I have to just like, it takes everything in me to be like, whoa, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's in the lines. doesn't matter if it doesn't, you know, like we were just doing an early learning book where we wanted him to draw um, from the number, like three, four, five to like the number of candles on a cake. Um, and I saw him making a line from one to the other, but he bypassed one level of numbers and he went down to the bottom of the page, which was a totally different exercise, but he matched up the numbers perfectly. And it's like the parent in you wants to correct, wants to teach, mm-hmm. but if you can if you can find the, the recompose and just watch, you learn so much. And so mm-hmm. I was thinking, I wonder what made him pass that first group and not even consider that as a subset where that's where my mind went because they're bundled together, but instead something about the bottom one. And then when I look back on the page, it's the colors. There's colors on the bottom pictures. It, it correlates to the colors of the candles and a lot of stuff in their vernacular at this age is color coded. So it's like, I learned something by watching him, mm-hmm. but I, if, but I really wanted to like, and then I had to like step back. And in doing so, I, I learned more. I love that story. Oh, that's so beautiful. And it also shows you how like life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you perceive it, right? Like everyone's parents like, oh, like this, 
you know, this poor kid must have something going on. And he's like, oh, they just love playing hide and seek with my parents. Like, that's awesome. What a great story. Um, I can't help but notice behind you is um, what do you do with an idea? Mm. So I read that with my uh, my daughter, who's now 15. And this is saying something in my household because we do not we do not matriculate and keep things. But we have that same book. Um, we've had it for over 10 years. And now we read it to Gabriel. And it's a great book. And so so tell me more about that. What is it about it that seemed to just hold her for and be meaningful to her for so long? And she's actually the one that wanted to save it, even at the age of like four, five, six, seven, and wanted to read it to her sibling one day. Um, from what I remember from her perspective, because I want to answer the question you asked, which is what what made her love it. Um, it's the fact that it starts in black and white and then it breathes life and becomes something of its own. Um, I think in her understanding at the time, um, it was like they didn't matter what other people thought of it. Uh, they wanted to stay true to themselves. And I think if you'd asked her now as a 15 year old, she'd respond differently. But that was how she did respond when we read her the book years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's a good book. Very good. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the curriculum that you teach, the curriculum that you um, obviously you're in Canada, we're in the States, um, early education down here. There's a lot of like traditional uh, education, which doesn't have um, any specificity than you have like Waldorf, you have um, Montessori. So I'd love to learn a little bit about what you guys have going on there. And um, I know you have some really cool, some really cool examples. So I'd love to hear. <laughs> so we too have um, programs that are Montessori or Waldorf or um, or more traditional um, programs. What has been embedded into um, the framework that we use in early learning programs in Ontario and in other provinces as well in Canada is um, it's it's is based on um, inspiration uh, from a Reggio Emilia approach um, that hasn't um, the Reggio Emilia approach has had a profound influence on many programs, not all by any means. And it's not, and as children grow into the public school system, there are, there is some understanding, but, but um, it's not highly, uh, highly prevalent, I guess, in, in all early grades, um, and certainly not in the older grades, in most grades. Um, but that being said, the Reggio Emilia approach has been uh, hugely impactful on my own thinking and, and in my own growth as, as a human, I think. As well as an as an educator, um, and there's there's some good reasons for that. I was mentioning to you before um, how it started that um, that the it was born uh, out of the work of an, a psychologist, also a teacher, at the end of the Second World War. His name was Lars Malakutsi, and um, as the story goes, as I've been told, because that was quite a long time ago, um, what happened is. They lived, he lived in Italy, which is where the Reggio Emilia um, approach was, was born um, and developed. In the province of Reggio Emilia in Italy, um, the, the Germans had been there in the Second World War and, and they left at the end of the war. They, they were retreating, they were leaving. And word got through to Loris Malaguzzi, who was some miles away, uh, that there was a group of women, mostly some some dads, I think too, but mostly moms, who really wanted to start a school, and uh, he was truly intrigued by this. <laughs> um, so he got on his bicycle and he rode to, out into the countryside to find these these women, wow. and that's exactly what they were doing. They were using um, bits and pieces from bombed out um, buildings and um, left tanks to have building materials to create a school but they didn't want to build just a school they wanted to build a school that would help their children develop into 
um, a world and they would that could create a world who listened to other people, who could think for themselves, who would think critically, who would um, care about the world that they were in, the environment. Um, that it was, and it was deeply rooted in listening, listening to each other um, in all kinds of ways. Um, so of course, Malaguzzi was like, he was like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> and from that time, over the last de many decades, um, there has been growth in an evolution of that okay. uh, approach. Um, yeah, and it's, it is based a lot on listening to one another. He has um, a poem that's famous for those of us who are follow the, the Reggio approach called The Hundred Languages of Children. And it's um, it really strongly talks about how children have so many ways of speaking if we are only able to listen. With their, with their body, language, through music, through drawing, through kicking a ball, through, we can tell so much of what children are trying to communicate by their eye gaze, by their um, tone of voice, by um, by their desire to figure out something mathematically, by their exploration of science, <laughs> of nature. Um, yeah, so. That's beautiful. It's, it's very profound and moving, understanding the context of what just happened in humanity and society at that time, and that there was a movement of people who said, like, how did this get to this point, and what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again? And the answer was to raise a society of, um, you know, the next generation of, of people, so children at the time, who could really deeply understand one another through listening and also through thinking for themselves. Um, yeah. I think that's amazing. When we first spoke and you mentioned the name Reggio Emilio, like I'm, I'm Italian, like third generation American Italian, but mm -hmm. it kept like knowing that I'd known that name. And so when I looked it up, I was like, oh, that's why I know it. It's a, it's a region in Italy. <laughs> I've been by there. That's so cool. Oh, I had, that is cool. But I had no idea of, of that component of it. Um, but it's just that those type of, those type of little quibs give me so much like, like love and appreciation for parents and that we've always tried to get better as a society, right? Like, I think that's so important. Um, to see where we are and to know that you know, there are a facet of people who are always going to try and push to improve. I mean, that is consciousness. And I just think that's so cool. I appreciate you sharing that. Mm -hmm. There's, um, it's also based a lot on um, being curious with children, um, like things that you were talking about earlier with, with your, with your child, um, trying to question, what are my assumptions? Um, is that what my child really is doing? Um, and there's, you know, I was I was with uh, a group of children the other day, and there was an incubator um, with chicks that were being that were hatching. Oh, wow. And I happened to be there with the children as four of those chicks were being um, were coming out of their shells, and we're watching that, and we're wondering about it, and we're just so excited. And they're they look so so wet and kind of weak, and then within just a few hours, they're fluffy and and stronger. And and one little girl looks at me and she goes. One of them's a mummy, one of them's a daddy, and the others are babies. And I thought, we've just watched them being born. You must know that they're not mommies and daddies. Mommy and a daddy. But I was thinking about it, and I believe she was exploring what it means to be family, what it means to be yeah. can you be a baby without a family to be with you? Yeah. What would it be like to be without a parent? Um, I just think there's so many things that children are exploring very, very deeply. Um, that hasn't has a lot more to do has that's just not limited to knowing their ABCs 
explain or knowing, that. Or knowing um, specific things. It's about understanding the world and their relationship to it. Um, this 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 brings up some heavy hitting stuff for me because I, I went to a Montessori school and I think I am the product of a Montessori education. I'm very open-ended everything. Like you try and put me in a box, I do not do well. My spelling and grammar is pretty, pretty abysmal, but like my love for vocabulary, different languages, different cultures is um, like insatiable. And so because I think that way, I think about that in context of being a parent. And what you just said reminds me, like our children are growing at such an incredible rate, but 90%, even for adults, 90% of communication is nonverbal. But for children, oh, my phone, my phone wanted to say something. That's pretty interesting. Glad to know that, Bixby. Thank you. Um, she agrees. Um, with children, they, language develops a little bit later, and it's still so limiting and so limited from what they're actually trying to communicate. Like it's like you said, it's such a small piece of it. So the part that like kind of makes my heart, um, I feel what you just said is there's so many instances as parents where we trump or we cut off or we sequester what our child is actually trying to say. And and we're not, this, there's no malice, zero malice. It is habit. It is non-presence, which is exactly what drove me to start this channel is just to give that parent who's here and who's incredible, just because they want to get a little 1% better, um, the ability to recognize it next time it happens. Because if we keep doing that to our kids, it scares me what's going to happen. Like the great thinkers became great thinkers because they were allowed to be great thinkers. And sometimes I think we're so hung up on societal norms, what society deems as good, whatever, pick attribute. But if our kid doesn't fall into that, we parent them differently and we don't actually allow their genius to like, to, to come to fruition. Um, so I don't know, that just reminded me of what you said. And it's mm -hmm. like, wow, it's just, it's a very, very vivid reminder. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think we, um, we have, I, I know even for me, when, when my first, when my first child was only a few weeks old, I thought he was amazing. I thought all, you know, I was just so proud of him and so pleased with him, but it was only a few weeks when I pulled up my developmental checklist checklist and wanted yes. to make sure he was on track. Yes. I was worried. Um, and, and I get that. So I, but uh, right now, especially after our experiences with COVID, um, there's a lot of messaging about our children are falling behind. Um, and I keep mulling that phrase over in my, my mind because we are living in a world that is changing incredibly fast. Uh, we've got digital tech, we're communicating now um, from two different countries um, about right. a topic. Um, <laughs> we're, we're communicating digitally in ways that we never did before. Artificial intelligence is changing how we write, how we listen, how we uh, do medicine, how we invent things. Uh, and, and so I think our environment, our environment is changing. Uh, we've got a climate crisis going on that we have to find solutions. Our society, our world has to find solutions to those problems that have never, we've never found solutions to those problems before. Do we really need to be worried so much about falling behind or do we need to have a love and a curiosity to learn and keep going and collaborate and share ideas, share our perspectives so that we can um, address and be in the world that we're growing into. Yeah. Two things come to mind when you say that. One is the Einstein's quote that you never can solve a problem with the same level of thinking that got you into the problem, um, right? And the second is that when you make decisions or actions out of fear, 
you are limiting your potentiality to the result of those decisions. Now, the interesting thing is we are, we being like the parent generation are the ones setting like those impositions um, for our kids. So that's incredible because now they have to come into a world where they were taught at like a lower level, right? They're like, I was having a conversation with this. They're like, they're level 10 humans, but because of the conditioning, they're thinking at like a level four or five by the time they're grownups. And now they have to solve level 10 problems. It's a very interesting time for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what elements of that curriculum you implement um, into your teachings and um, how that all looks? So um, it's a very uh, layered kind of curriculum. Uh, no, it's not even a curriculum, it's an approach. Um, so I'll just highlight a few things. Um, one that's very cent central to everything is our image of children, whether we see children as capable, as competent. Um, and that doesn't mean that they can do anything, <laughs> but it means that we believe they, they are able to, to do things, that they are able to think through things or able to do what's just a little bit outside of what they can currently do, that they can they can um, do those things, that we see them as the, the glass half full as opposed to the glass half empty. Um, and how, I mean, I think even there are words that often will say, oh, that child is just attention seeking. If I change that to say, that child is relationship seeking, I shift, for me, I shift. Yes. I think, okay, they That's need something for me. Yeah. What can I, what is it they need? How can How I support can them? Yeah. 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 Whoa. So the image of the child is is central um to, to the approach. And so as a parent, um we can be very feel that we need to be very protective, that we don't give them a chance to take a few risks, um, or we're not uh, or we can say, okay. This makes me a bit nervous, um, but let's talk about what this risk looks like. You want to climb that tree? Mm. <laughs> I see that there's a spot where you can step up on this the tree here, but when you go past there, it's gonna be pretty tippy. So, or you wanna go on that climber, your arms aren't quite long enough to reach for yourself. So I'm not gonna lift you up because you're, you need to grow a bit, long, a bit taller before it, it's gonna be safe. Or we're gonna be around a campfire. What are the risks? How far back do we need? Like talking with children about, about what the risks might be, mm -hmm. so that it, it is safe enough, but they get it get a chance to test themselves to know whether they are in control of their body. They know how to be safe. Um, I think the children who never get a chance to explore the idea of risk um, have. I mean, that follows them through their lifetime. I think. Sure. Um, sure. Um, That's what I mean. Like parents are well-meaning, but they. Um, yeah. We we're the most well-meaning, um, uh, de dehabilitating, uh, factors on the planet. Like everything's out of love and, and trying to help and support. But if we don't give them the chance to spread their wings, right. Um, I saw a baby bird today. It was very windy in Florida and a baby bird was on the floor. And I went to like, I'm like, what do I do? Like instinctively, I'm like, save it. Like such a mom. And as I like started to get closer to it, it started to like flutter its wings. And so I remembered like, if, if it can physically help itself, you can't touch it or the mom won't come help it. So it's like, not my child, not even my species, was gut-wrenching difficult for me to turn and walk away yeah. and leave a creature that I perceive as struggling. But Susan, I'll do this all the time. I'll see like a worm on the floor and I think, oh, I have to save it. So I'll scoop it up, 
because it's really hot here. If you have a worm on like the sidewalk, like that thing's dying. That's not in Florida. Like That's not going to make it to the other side. <laughs> so I'll scoop it up and I go to put it, you know, someplace. And then I think like so quantum physics of me, but I'm like, did I just save it? Or is now a bird going to eat it? Or did I really like do anything helpful? So it's very interesting. I don't know if there is a right or wrong, but I love the self-introspection of think about it first, discuss it with your children and give them a say in their level of um, risk aversion, right? That's important. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's what, it, it's very, um, what is it like co-creative that approach? It's very like, mm -hmm. I see you and, and I'm with you and together we'll explore your world and boundaries to a place that you feel comfortable. And that's so supporting, like in its own very, like, 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 um, not aggressive kind of way. Not like I'm imposing how to do it, but I'm just going to be there in support of you as you explore this world. That's awesome. You explain that very well. <laughs> I'm being, I try being to like a, internalize. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is a term that, that we do use as co-creating, um, knowledges with children. Not that we, um, uh, just go, oh, do whatever, you know, but, but together we can explore things. We can wonder together. Um, and, and find answers to, to questions that they have. But when it's their questions, when it's their wonderings, they're motivated, they're keen to figure out the answers. And, and, and we don't have to have all the answers. Exactly. We just have to have the interest and the curiosity to be to be with them, to help them um, wonder together, you know, yeah. So I find that fascinating. And I love that your approach to inspire uh, learning is to have that collaborative type of conversation with your child. I'm curious if you have any talk tracks or just things that parents can keep in their repertoire when they're engaging in play with their kids or just when they're doing any type of learning um, to help foster like, you know, that cr creative thinking on the child's part or free thinking on the child's part versus the parent, like putting them in a box. <laughs> mm. um, so I think the, the words I wonder um, are, are words that I use a lot. So I'll give you an example. The other day um, I was with a group of children and this will be maybe hard for you to imagine, but there was a flock of birds. They were Canada geese. I knew that they were Canada geese because they were, they were flying in a V formation, um, but they were up so high and the sun, it was a blue sky behind and the sun was just at an angle where it was sparkling on them. They looked like, um, they looked like bits of, of tiny stars in the day sky in the shape of a V. And the kids noticed it first um, and they go, oh, look, and it's, oh, wow, I just entered into that. Oh, that is beautiful. And we're both like, and then I asked, what do you think it is? What could it be? And there was all kinds of theories. Like it, uh, one person thought it was, you know, you blow bubbles and and blow and thought, oh, it's someone's blown bubbles up, like way up in the sky. Awesome. Uh, and another child thought it was uh, um, a fairy dust. Oh, love. And another child thought it was, uh, it was something you blow on to make a wish, like dandelion fluff. Um, and the point of that wasn't to learn what it was. It was to enjoy the beauty and the moment to mm. be together in that, each marveling at it. Um, and I think that's the attitude of, of what we might want to do as, as parents right. is to be able to slow down enough. And it's so hard to be able to um, just wonder. Mm -hmm. uh, it might look like uh, so a child has drawn a picture or Mark making, Mark making. You go, mm. and you might just say, oh, I see that you're, you've done this. Tell me about it. I've had a child. Uh, there was, there was one child who 
it sticks in my mind because it's been a couple of years ago, but I was just in that child's classroom for a half a day and he'd been making some things over in with some construction paper. And so it was time for me to leave. And I just kind of waved goodbye to me and he rushes over to me. He said, I've got something for you. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay. So I went over to where he was and it was this about, probably about this size of uh, blue construction paper. And there was kind of uh, just pieces of like just lines on on the one side of it it wasn't an oval it was kind of like a sort of pointy ends on each it wasn't beautifully cut I have to say um and then there was this spot that kind of had this little uh archway and a dot in it and uh I said oh tell me tell me about this and he goes it's it's a portal I said a portal wow yeah you go through here and he points to the little doorway wow and then he flipped it over and there were stars all over oh. it. And he said, this portal will take you wherever you want to go. How old was this child? He was four. Oh, that's amazing. If I hadn't asked or if I said, oh, what a nice picture. Yeah. I wouldn't have known the depth of what he was giving me. He was giving me an incredible gift. That's amazing. Um, and, and then I think also when children are, Oh, in the throes of a relationship <laughs> and they're frustrated or they're angry or um, that, that it's sometimes the, the wording that parents can use is something like, I see that you're frustrated. Mm-hmm. I see you are angry. I see whatever it is that we think we see. Tell me about what's going on. Tell me what, what, what you're thinking and feeling. And it can reveal a lot of things. Whereas if I didn't ask that first, I would assume that I knew mm-hmm. what the problem was and try and use this as just a way that I would, well, go talk about it or whatever, you know, yeah. or share or whatever it is, instead of bringing to them a curiosity about what is really going on. Tell me what you can. Tell me what you can. I love that. What I'm gleaning from this is even in your questioning, your line of questioning is expansive. It's not like coming to a finite point. So you didn't say with the, with the art, art, which I've, I've done and I've seen, you didn't say, what is it? Tell me what it is. You right. said, tell me about this. We're not trying to like make them conform their incredible depth and multidimensionality into like such a finite thing. It's tell me about this, meaning what does it mean to you? I really love that. And I appreciate that in the context of frustration and anger, because when you're in the, you know, you see your kid is in a creative, happy flow state, it's easier to have that level of wonder as a parent. And then when they're not in that state and they're upset, um, I can see it would be more challenging, but you still want to elicit that more expansive mindset so that they can kind of play out those emotions and feel new ones and then hook onto those new ones. Um, That was very helpful. Thank you. That was awesome. I think observation too, like sometimes it's not about what we say. It's about what we uh, see. Uh, so an, another example is, is with a, a child who um, just adored, adored, adored worms, <laughs> like you maybe. <laughs> and in the spring for us, when the snow was melting, then, and, you know, then the, the worms are coming up and, and visible on top of the ground. And this one little girl was just always when as soon as she would get outside that that's what she would go for was to to look for those worms and she'd carry them around and she'd show everybody but as I watched her I could see that she was she took it to different parts of the garden she took it to different places in the grass she took it to the sandbox she took it to the composter 
she was trying, I think, to know what, where does a worm like to live? Yeah. Okay. She didn't have to tell me. Um, I mean, I, I could observe that over a few days and go, are you wondering? <laughs> and then she goes, yeah, yeah. That's wanting awesome. to make a habitat, wanting to, to, to make life good for the worm. For that worm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's just a matter of really stepping back and just watching without interfering. I, I think that's so important. I've seen that in my own journey. It's like, sometimes I feel as a parent, the, the, uh, the bumper sticker is like, the less we do, the better our children are, um, because you can't help but impose. So by just watching for longer than you think you need to, you still have a chance to um, react but you're not juxtaposing your thoughts on them. And now they're confused because they're trying to work out what they want and they want to please you too. And it's a lot to ask these beautiful, tiny little beings. Um, a lot of your examples have been around nature and outdoors. So I want to ask about what are some of the environments that you think are conducive to helping children learn or develop the love of love of learning, uh, whether that's indoor or outdoor, and what are some like things parents can um, you know, do or environments they can put kids in so they have that uh, explorative kind of playground. <laughs> um, I, I am outdoors is, is big. Like I think, um, our relationship to nature and the world, um, the, the natural world will flourish if children have a chance to develop a relationship with them, which is harder to do if your understanding and knowledge of nature is, um, through only through books, only through uh, technology where we have um, information uh, about them. Whereas if they're building a home for a ladybug or whatever, or feeling the bark of a tree or um, watching the clouds um, and trying to understand what clouds are communicating in their darkness or in their lightness or in their fluffiness or whatever, it becomes a relationship. Um, so relationships are are big, not just with other humans, but with non-humans or more than humans. Um, indoors environments, um, I think there's been lots of um, understanding and research to say that calmer colors, um, less stuff, so that children can really engage deeply um, in things that don't have only one way of using them. Yeah. We talk a lot about things like loose parts, which could be Lego, could be um, plastic toys, or or it could be things of nature. It could be things that children um, just manipulate and 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 create designs or create um, stories. They make up stories. I've we've had, I love like mirrors um, with all kinds of little things that they could place on them, um, bells, feathers, um, little wooden figures. Um, and I found it interesting to see how some children will, will create a whole story. Some will create a maze, some yeah. will create an artistic design and it's all of it's, um, all of it's learning in a different way. This is awesome. What if your child, like we all go through phases. So what if your child has like a, a propensity or a proclivity toward like a certain type of toy? Like my son is all about monster trucks and, you know, he definitely will play with other things. Like, well, um, I am very much in the, the theology of one or two things out, let them play with that. Then we, you know, put it away in the closet. We bring something else out the next, the next few days, just so they don't get overwhelmed. Um, and he seems to like that, but his go-to is you always go back to the trucks. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. when your child is in a phase where they really love that thing, like, um, is that, 
degenerative to their degenerative to their growth in any way? Or is it okay to just let them stay there? Should you like bring out other things for them to play with that? You know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah. When children are, are fascinated with something, um, I, I don't know, like I would be bringing out things where they could play with, with uh, slopes and with, yeah. with um, like playing with, with those trucks with it in different ways, ways. In different places and um, and imagining things in different ways um cool. to me it seems like oh let's bring other things in um so that there's it's keeps that imagination going keeps that curiosity going about what what we could do with this one particular thing yes that, that's my that would be my bias but i'm cool. sure other people have other ideas Sure. Well, I'm just thinking of that um, exploratory. Like I can also, the, the amazing thing about society is that we're so polarized for every for every reaction. There's an equal and opposite reaction. Um, for every like understanding, there is something equally as convincing on the other side. And I, I feel like I've never felt more of that than when I was a parent. And it's like, you hear one thing, you hear the polar opposite. I'm like, how can they both be right? And you finally get to this place for some people much faster than others where you're like, I really just need to do what resonates in my body because this is really confusing. <laughs> This can't be healthy for the kid. Um, so we're just going to do what feels good. Um, but because I am a person who always likes to learn, that's kind of where we go with it. We'll bring in like, uh, we'll shut the lights off and we'll shine a flashlight to see what type the monster truck now it's huge and just to kind of play with it. But it, I also think like, this is where my husband and I are so cool because we're very opposite or he will engage with that toy in a very different way. You know, he's mm -hmm. more like military sports and it's like, let's make a thing with it. And um, I just think it's cool for kids to see those different perspectives because there's not one right way and you're modeling it, but then it's also important to let them, to let them show you the way they want to engage too. Yeah. I, I love what you've just said. Um, I think um, perspective taking is, is uh, so, so important. And there is no one right way to do anything. No. That's what I gleaned from what you said um, with the examples with the kids and the um, uh, the flock of geese, which is amazing, is there's a time and a place, maybe, maybe, um, where we start to put structure around things, but it's definitely not in the first seven years where they are literally developing their subconscious mind, which is going to fuel their, their habits and their thoughts for the rest of their life. Like anybody watching who's an adult who struggled to do anything like hit a goal, lose weight, blah, 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 name the thing. It's because there's a subconscious division between your subconscious and your conscious. And this is that golden age for these children to really solidify what they believe about this world. And I love keeping that expansive approach. And it also makes me think, how would our world be different if that was more of a widespread um, you know, practice instead of always trying to, it's so linear, like to drill it down. And now we don't know how to have you know answers to all these burning questions, but hey, all in service. I think it's all gonna work itself out, <laughs> hopefully. Well, at least I was, I, you know, I went through an education system and through a, through, I mean, our, our society has a lot of, there's a right and wrong, as you've mentioned. And so as a parent, and now as a grandparent, mm -hmm. um, it, it takes all I can do to push back and say, I want to use as much wisdom as I can. I want to learn from as many people as I can. I want to listen deeply to the children that I'm with um, and that, that I, I care about. Um, but there won't be just a one size fits all. It's going to be what makes sense for our culture, our um, past experiences, our present, um, all based on how we love our children. Mm, it's so beautiful. When you said that earlier, I, it made me want to like interject and then I didn't want to, so I, I waited, but this is like the perfect time because the sentiment is like, it's okay to be unique. It's okay to be an individual. And 
Idealism is very interesting. We don't actually want the world we say we want. Like we would not want a world where we all thought the same, yet our actions are showing our children that this is what we want. Um, and that's purely because we are habitual. We're creatures of habit and we're not present enough in our own journey to like have that baseline. That is, Susan, the whole reason I'm doing this podcast is so people can just get a little bit more present and then have tools like you and all the amazing speakers we've had to say, this is something I need in my child's life. I, I'll give you a perfect example. One of my soul sisters, really good friends. I mean, I met this woman two months ago um, and she's already like a, an incredible friend. She said, hey, I watched one of your podcasts. I was so moved by the coach that I reached out to him and he's gonna be coaching my kids this summer. Uh, and it was like kind of a life theology type thing, not just sports. And like, to me, like that is what this is all about is equipping our parents to help equip our children to be more apt for the challenges they're going to face and for the, all the beauty they're going to see in this world too. Right. It's not just like it's being motivated by the dream, not just the nightmare, <laughs> but I, I love that. And, and I think to, to balance the many stresses that parents experience with a sense of um, joy. Because children are like, at least for me, like you give me a baby and a dog and I like, I'm just shot right into like eternal happiness. There's, as a parent, we just feel like we have to do these adult things, like adulting. But if you really allow yourself to play, is that not the most fun you've had all day? Like that cover letter, the sale thing, the whatever you had to do, had to write that chapter in the book. What gave you the most joy out of our day? That's what I mean. Like we're so habitual that we think I need to sweep the floor. I have a, a neighbor and a dear friend who's not American. Um, they're from Czechoslovakia and Spain. And I love having the perspectives of not Americans, because it's so, it's just such a great mirror to be like, look, here's where you are. <laughs> because she's like, I don't want to be cooking dinner. I, I don't want my kids to be sitting at the table, eating dinner and remembering mommy's sweeping during dinner. And I'm like, oh, wow, I do that all the time. <laughs> like, it's so commonplace, but to just really enjoy your children, like that's what they're there for. And they're going to be on before you know it. Well, you know, they don't have babies yeah. at home. You get a second chance. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, so good. My mom, um, who now helps with Gabriel a few days a week said like, my favorite part of this is I feel like I'm raising you again. Like I see you in his, through him, that same like lust for life, just, but it is in his own exquisite little package. And it's just, you know, she, she has multiple grandchildren, but this is the first time that they've been so close in proximity. So she gets more, more time. We're very lucky in that way. We also planned it very diligently in that way um, because she's like you, she's an educator, she's a teacher, and she's just a love, a lover of people. Um, but that was so cool for me to hear that. Like, I'm so excited to be a grandma one day for that reason. Awesome. Susan, can you wrap all this, this expansive um, play, fun type of conversation back to early literacy? And what um, what are some things like parents can do if their children are in that younger age um, now that we want to start giving them like a structure around reading or maybe not a structure, maybe it's letting them free learn. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So um, stories still play big in um, my interactions and, and my love of being with children. And stories are a perfect place, whether they're um, like board books for infants or rhyming books or um, or books about nature. <laughs> their books are places where you can stop and not, not be worried about drilling them about um, what the content is so much as sort of looking at entering into the story and seeing where they're, where they're fascinated. Um, mm. where they want to spend time and just exploring the pictures, exploring the ideas um, within them. Oh, that's good. And good. I'm thinking even stories about nature are filled with uh, not just a relation, relationship building for being in nature, but as well as that, they show all kinds of character that um, are 
are valuable to children too. Yeah. I'm thinking of like a butterfly. You were talking about um, the, the baby bird. And I'm, I, that reminded me of the stories of, of butterflies that have to break through the cocoon and they have to struggle. If they don't struggle, they won't be able to have wings that are able to fly. Right. Uh, and some of those ways in which uh, nature rebirths itself um, are, are just wonderful things to explore with children too. Yeah. So the language, I uh, I often encourage people to just, when they're reading stories, have them familiar with, with the stories. If they want, we read them over and over again. And the ones that they just can't get enough of, there's a reason they can't get enough of. There's something in it. Um, and then just pausing and commenting and waiting for children to um, to talk. How How is this story relating to their lives or what they're wondering about? Awesome. I love uh, that. And then I, I guess I also think, so there's that, the stories that we share with them, then there's the stories that we tell them that I kind of mentioned at the beginning of, I think, of our podcast of how much our stories um, of how we see them play into, into their lives. A million percent. It was almost trippy the first time you said that. My brain goes to quantum physics. Like you are the observer and your thoughts about what you're observing shapes reality. And it, I've never had that connection before when it came to our children, but it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that when you think of something about your child, now you're, you're looking with reticular activating system, you're looking for evidence to prove that thought. And that can be really good and really scary. <laughs> so you have to be very mindful um, I know. <laughs> of that. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah. I'm telling you, parenting is not, for, it is the, by far the coolest part of ever being a human being. Um, say falling in love, but it is the same as falling in love. But man, it's like such an internal journey of uh, growth. It's crazy cool. It's so cool. Singing is also something that um, it, it helps children. It slows language down. Um, you said singing? It, singing. 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 Yeah. So whether they're little nursery rhymes or whether they're other songs, but it slows language down as, as young children are learning language. Awesome. It helps them feel the syllables, the beats in words. Mm. It's a beautiful way of um, helping them after they've heard them many times, having the confidence to um, say new words or sing new words, awesome. um, be expressive. I love that. I also think we're, we're energetic, we're vibrational. So as you said earlier in the poem uh, that you paraphrased, there's like a hundred ways to listen to your children. You're taking the pressure off of them to try and like come on this way that they, like they might not be able to say it, intellectually but they know there's a lot of pressure around their ability to perform in this way so like putting music to it just kind of like is with the rhythm of the soul and it kind of takes away some of the trepidation I feel like it's just play right it's learning the way it's supposed to be it's just play not performance um I'm wondering what your thoughts are Susan around um the society that we have created with like kids need to be able to read by five and they should start to know all their letters by three like is that detrimental? Because it feels like it might be. And then if you find yourself as a parent doing that, by the way, which parent has never done that ever? I don't know. <laughs> what What are healthier alternatives as barometers to help gauge your child's um, love for learning development? Those are my two questions to you. <laughs> um, so again, my opinion is one opinion. Um, I think that children um, are if we're speaking with them, if we're engaged with them in a relationship with them, um, they are gaining the elements that they need to, to learn language and to and to to learn reading. I think the reading um, decoding skills, decoding skills need to be explicitly taught. Um, but what they need before that is 
uh, understanding what words mean, wow. comprehension. And okay. if things don't, if words don't mean anything to them, then what's the point of reading? There's no motivation to read. Wow. Um, and so talking a lot um, and having them engaged with things that then they see in books or they read about in books um, gives them more meaning and gives them more motivation to read. Some some countries don't teach reading until they're seven. Yeah. <laughs> um, some children are, are we in North America, and I think in a lot of societies, we have this idea that children should be developmentally moving along at a specific rate. <laughs> and children are too unique to do that. Um, yeah. And so we, we have programs that say, okay, all three-year-olds will do this, all four-year-olds will do this, all five-year-olds will do this. And if they don't, then we feel this anxiety, like, uh-oh, there's something wrong with my child. My child is lacking, or I as a parent am lacking. There is. And I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it helps us. I think engaging with their curiosity um, and and where there's, I don't know, if there's frustration, then then pay attention to why that frustration is there. Wow. That was with all that the your wisdom. Question. I know I gave you all the hard ones. You answered that with all the poise and wisdom of like, like nurture. Like that was a, like a very grandma answer. Like I love that answer <laughs> because- like when you're a new mom, like even I say new, I have a 15 year old when you're like, you know, a mom, like there's so much association with your self-reflection and how you see yourself. And I love that you brought that in because we are the, the, the people who probably, I, I say this as a generalization, looking at myself. Um, but like, if you're looking at your children and comparing them, there's a very good chance that you do that to yourself, which is why that habit is instilled. And does it make you happy when you compare yourself to others? Doesn't really make me happy. So it's definitely not something I want to teach my kids, but again, it goes back to all these habits. Um, so I love that you layered that in there. And then you bring the perspective of seeing it a generation removed. Now, like that is the, how do I say there's so much here where we are in society now, we're so disassociated. We're, we're so in a silo, the way the humans were always cultivated and brought up were in large groups where children got to see not only their parents and grandparents, but aunts and uncles. And you, I feel like by gaining all these perspectives, they just learned non-verbally faster and not even faster, but just a different perspective. Um, and, and it's a little bit less isolating. And I think now we have to really work to have that perspective. So I really appreciate you saying that. I thought that was masterfully put together. <laughs> I hope that when I'm a grandma, I can provide that level of calm and, um, perspective that you just brought to my brain. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. That was wonderful. Um, Susan, tell our uh, parents where they can find you and what you're working on. And I know that you offer resources to help parents. I'd love, I'd love to learn about that before we wrap. Okay. So, um, I do have a, an online presence, um, at a place called inspired to learn. So it's, it's www dot inspired to learn dot ca uh, for canada um and and if you visit that website you'll find that there are some courses one that's called story power that i think awesome. you um maybe um found out about that's what i saw on you. yeah that's where i met you yes yeah um and it explores some of the ideas that we've been talking about here but a whole lot more um it has another course available um on learning stories and that's about us recognizing and seeking to uncover the dispositions to learning that children have mm. and then writing stories to our child um, 
using those dispositions that we can share with them right away or later on. Um, That's awesome. There's some articles there. There's some some sort of free resources that are just downloadable um, and articles, but that that would be one way. And there's a Facebook page for Inspire to Learn as well um, that you could always get in touch by by email through through the website or by messaging me through through Facebook. Yes, yeah. We're very receptive to that, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's no no please. I was just going to say it's been such uh, a pleasure to have this opportunity to visit with you, and and to um, explore these ideas that. I as a parent have experienced um, and struggled with and um, and just with that focus of looking toward creating a world that's good for our children with our children. Um, that's amazing. So thank you. My goodness, thank you so much. This was this was great. There's a the only word I could think of was a South African uh, word called Ubuntu, which is um, a tribal term used to express that I see you and I appreciate the totality of who you are and helps put into context who I am and why I'm here. Um, how they got all that in one word, I have no idea. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> um, but since we were talking about literacy, I thought I'd throw, throw one out there. Um, this was amazing. I love the soul of my being, like your passion for learning, how that comes through and, and not just your work with parents, but just your life. Because as a daughter of a teacher, I see firsthand how that affects people. It affected my love for learning. Um, mm. And I so appreciate that, especially as we're at this precipice in society. And I deeply believe in the next few years, like my daughter does private school at home. Uh, Amira and her friends are the same. Like there's just a lot of reform happening with education. And the more that we can talk about this and the more that we can breathe life into the possibilities and the expansion, I just know we're going to come up with some really cool stuff. Like it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Look forward to it. Um, so thank you again, Susan, for your time and your uh, presence tonight. This was great. Parents, I love you guys. I'm so happy that you guys are just here showing up for yourselves. Um, you guys motivate me. That's why I'm here. Um, please let us know what you want to learn. And I will go find amazing people like Susan to come educate us. Uh, I'm right there on my journey next to you guys. And I'm just living it on purpose, authentically, to show you guys we're all going through this journey and we're all doing it together. So please hit the like button, help us get into more homes and more families. Uh, we love you. And until the next perfect time, everybody stay beautiful and stay inspired. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.